Romans chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 12 and read through verse 21. And so, because we did not have an opening hymn, I'll ask to do something a little different. I know that's dangerous in, in a church, but let's all stand as we read the Word of God. I, I love doing that anyway. We don't do it a lot here, but um, I think that's a wonderful thing for us to do anyway. So let's stand as, as we read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ." Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing as, as we read this, this passage of scripture. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in an introduction I normally like to kind of go back and, and give you a lot about the context and where we are, but um, I hope maybe you can remember that and, and put this in its proper context, but I want to kind of just quickly dive into this passage this morning uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I will tell you that most people who study this letter say that it is actually beginning with verse 12 that Paul kind of shifts gears again uh, in this passage and and from here all the way through several of the chapters that we're going to see is kind of another section as he uh, kind of resets and begins to explain um, some of the doctrines and, and some of the ways those affect us even in a practical way uh, in the coming chapters and in the coming verses. So as, as we look at the first part of chapter 5, we, we finished up our talk about um, and Paul's discussion of just, being justified by faith how that we have peace with God, um, how that we have uh, patience in tribulations. Uh, we know that those things work patience in us, he said. Um, 
He talked about just the gospel message that Christ died for sinners, uh, all, of, all of that that we have covered in the first part of chapter 5. So as we look at verses 12 through 21, I want to first tell you a little bit about the structure. And before I do that, I want to tell you this. This is a complicated um, passage of Scripture. It is uh, kind of difficult, especially in places. And so I don't, we need to be technical. We need to understand what the Scriptures say. But at the same time, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture, that the bigger picture is such a beautiful thing. We don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees, uh, as the old uh, expression goes. But I think it's important that we really unpack it and understand it's, it's an extremely, extremely important subject uh, that is covered in these verses. So I hope it doesn't seem too technical at times, and I hope that yet we do understand what these verses are teaching. So the structure of the passage, and you can see this, this, when I mean structure, I mean even just the literary structure of this passage. You can look at your Bible and see this. Verses 12, 18, and 19 are actually the body of the text. Verse 12, verse 18, and verse 19. But verse 13 through 17 are one really long parenthetical statement in parentheses uh, that expounds and explains the concept that's introduced in verse 12 more clearly. And then verses 20 and 21, many of the commentators say, is, is more like a postscript. As Paul is kind of through talking and he says, but there's something else I really need to share. One more thing in verses 20 and 21. And it's really important. So I'm, I'm glad he put that little postscript on there. So you have your body in 12, 18, and 19. This, this parenthetical expounding and explaining statement in 13 through 17. And then in verses 20 and 21, this uh, postscript message of Paul that adds to what we've learned in the previous verses. So the, out, the outline of our message this morning, and you don't have to write all these down immediately because we're going to go through them one by one. We're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, that sin entered by one man. Sin entered by one man. Secondly, the gift of righteousness by one man. And then third, that the law reveals sin. The law reveals sin. So that's the three things that we're going to cover. And the first one I said is that sin entered by one man. And so on this point, we're going to look at primarily verses 12 through 14. This is one of those messages that we can't just go through one verse at a time. It, it, it all ties together, so we'll be jumping around a little bit. But primarily verses 12 through 14. Sin entered by one man. And this is really about the topic here primarily. There's other things involved, but the topic here primarily is the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin. What a sad thing that we have to consider this morning. First, just that sin entered into the world. That's a sad thing, isn't it? Um, when we think about the creation, can you imagine the beauty and the majesty of creation and all that God had made in sinless perfection? You ever, you ever think about that? That there was a time when sin had not entered into the world. That God's creation, you remember what did God say about his creation after he made it, he said it's good. He said it was very good. God's creation was good. Not marred by the awful effects of sin that did at some point enter into the world. Well, that's what we're going to see this morning is that sin entered into the world and how that happened. I even think about the relationship between man and woman living together in God's design before the fall. 
wouldn't you love to just see a see how that worked? Because <laughs> we we can't do that. We don't we don't fully uh, get to know that because for men our our role and as men and and how we act in that relationship that Adam and Eve had before the fall is marred by sin, and so there's problems. Same thing for women. The role of women and and how that relationship works for women has been marred by the plague of sin, pulling on and distorting what God has said was very good. So how did sin come into the world? Well, our text teaches us that sin came into the world through one man. Verse 12 says it this way. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. So I, I was thinking about this, you know, what, what a terrible thing, like we've already said, that sin entered into the world in the first place. And I was thinking, what's an example of something kind of entering in that's not good? And this is a horrible Mississippi application here, and I apologize for it on the front end. Have you ever wondered who planted the first kudzu plant? You ever wondered that? Like, where did that come from? Whose bright idea was that to just put that in? And then, man, it just was in. You're talking about invasive. That stuff went crazy. Well, sin entered into the world. And it entered through one man, Adam, through Adam's transgression, through Adam's sin. Sin entered into the world. So that's what our text teaches us. And we find out that that one man is Adam actually in verse 14. It doesn't tell us in verse 12. It just says by one man, sin entered into the world. And then in verse 14, we find out that that man was Adam. So before we go deeper into the, the many things we can learn from this, Let's just unpack verse 12 a little more precisely and, and see what Paul is teaching us here uh, at the end of chapter 5 about sin and about sin entering into the world. So sin, one thing is sin entered into the world through Adam. And secondly, he says, death came through sin. So death is a result of sin. When sin entered the world, death also entered into the world probably not a popular thing for me to bring up right now as April the 15th approaches and if you're an adult you know why I'm saying that because it's tax season and what is, what is the old saying that there's two things that are sure in this world right death and taxes well you know what really death because maybe maybe sometime there's going to be a time when there's not taxes it's possible it's possible I can tell you one thing that's absolutely sure death's not going anywhere uh, death is sure, and, and death entered into the world by sin. Sin entered into the world by Adam, and death by sin. That's what verse 12 tells us. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So physical death entered into the world through sin, and sin through one man. But not only physical death, also spiritual death. What a tragic thing to consider there, that through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and that was not just physical death, it was also a spiritual death. So the next, next phrase gives us the scope of this problem, the scope of sin and the scope of death as it relates to human existence. And death passed upon all men. So the scope is what you would call extensive, right? This is a big problem this didn't just affect adam when sin entered into the world through adam and death by sin then the scope of that problem is that death passed upon all men you will not escape it no amount of money no amount of good deeds 
no health regimen or diet plan that you can do will ever allow you to escape from the reality of death. You know, it's amazing how much time our culture spends on that. I mean, it, it is, um, people fear death, and, and they try to do everything they can to avoid, especially in our culture today. I think that's something that um, in, in the modern culture is even more a reality than it was in the past. People don't want to talk about death. They don't want to think about death. They want to put it as far away from them as they possibly can. Um, but it is a reality. Death passed upon all men. There's coming a day when we will leave this world, and there's really only two possibilities. One, you will experience a physical death, or two, Christ will return before you die. That's the only two options. Death is a certainty, and death entered by sin. And that sobering thought should not just constantly be dismissed from our thoughts. Did you know that? It's a biblical thing to ponder and consider death. I think it uh, can be even a very practically helpful thing in our Christian experience to understand that truth and think about it in a biblical way, in the right way. So as we look at that, how death, um, that sin entered by one man and death by sin, we're going to kind of look down through all of these verses. And I'll tell you what I did in my Bible. It might be helpful for you. But what I did, I took two different color highlighters, and I went through this passage. And you're going to see as we go through this, and, and really where we understand this is from the end of verse 14. So let me read verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. That tells us kind of what Paul is actually doing in this passage. There's going to be this comparison of two men. There's going to be Adam, and there's going to be Jesus Christ. And he's going to, he's going to show uh, different things about those men. And I'm going to get way ahead of myself on this message, I know, but I'm not going to do it right now. I almost did. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go one thing at a time. So that's where we're headed in this message. So what I did, this is just a very practical thing that might help you understand this passage. I went through, and everything that talked about Adam, I highlighted in one color, and then everything that talked about Christ, I highlighted in another color. And it'll really kind of make this come alive to you because um, it's a very repetitive passage. So let me show you what I mean. In verse 15, through one man's offense, many died. This shows how, um, how that in the, in the King James Version it says, For if through the offense of one, many be dead. In verse 16, For the judgment was by one to condemnation. In verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Verse 18, therefore as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So that's the very definition of repetition, right? <laughs> that's the definition of repetition. Um, made sinners, constituted sinners, that last one. For, for as, by many, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, constituted, regarded as sinners, legally declared to be sinners. We were made sinners through Adam's disobedience. So the, the first part of verse 12, I think that's relatively easy to understand. Here, here comes the actual really important part and kind of a turning point that we really need to understand is at the end of verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, I think we understand that, and death by sin, we comprehend that, 
And so death passed upon all men, and then this phrase, for that all have sinned. It's a really, really important phrase. And um, it's rare to, to have to point this out about the King James Version, but really I don't think that's the best translation in the world there of, of that phrase. Uh, in the King James Version it says, for that all have sinned. A better translation is because all sinned. That's what the original language actually says because all sinned rather than for that all have sinned Um, and why is this important well in the king james version if you read that it's not wrong Um, is it true that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god absolutely that's true so it's not wrong but it's not really the point that paul is making in this particular text it's not the intent of the writer of the apostle paul in this context While it's certainly true that all men have sinned, and that is that they have committed sins by active disobedience to God, that's not what Paul is after here. The phrase in the original language has the meaning of this, a historical act, a completed action that has happened already in history at one one point. He is referring to a specific act at one time in the past. Two principles that can really kind of help us to understand this very difficult passage or this first the context of this whole section this whole passage is important when interpreting that phrase and what did we say this whole section is about it's about adam and christ and so we need to put it in that context because like we said the phrase by itself is not incorrect paul says that in many places in romans and then in verses 13 and 14 we need to understand that verses 13 and 14 are meant to help us understand verse 12 Uh, that's why they are there so death passed upon all men because all sinned the universality of death is due to the fact that all sinned Uh, not that all men have sinned but that all sinned so the explanation in verses 13 and 14 says that death reigned from adam to moses now this is this is where it gets a little complicated the period from the fall until the giving of the law of moses have you ever considered that So there's this period of time. You remember Adam in the garden? He was given a law, wasn't he? He was told, this is what you can do, which was vast, wasn't it? There wasn't a whole lot he couldn't do. But there there was something he was not supposed to do. That's a law. He was given a rule. And he broke that. He he broke that commandment of God. He broke the law there that was given in the garden. And then we go fast forward to Moses. Was there a law given to Moses? Absolutely. There was a law given to Moses but what about the time in between that's what our text talks about Um, in in verse 13 for unto the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses so the period from the fall until the giving of the law of Moses did you know that everybody died in that period of time that's what the text tells us it says that death reigned during that time Uh, the period of time from the fall until Moses. And that's the consequences of sin was also in the world at this time. This was true before the law was given. And then Paul says, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So one thing to point out is that there is a difference in this word used here and the one that was used in previous chapters. You remember when we talked a lot about how um, things are reckoned to us and they are counted to us. And we use that word imputed. This is a different word, very similar, but different word. 
Uh, and it, words that it, it means that it is not recorded or written down as. It is not written or recorded down as. So sin is not imputed when there is no law. It's not written down or it's not recorded as transgression. It's sin is sin, but it's not recorded as transgression. Chapter 4, verse, uh, chapter four Romans chapter 4, verse 15 says this, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. So he is not saying here that there was not sin before the law. That's not what Paul is teaching. Some people try to look at that verse and say, well, there was no sin because there was no law. He has clearly said before in this very book and in other places that even the Gentiles who did not have the law were a law unto themselves. Chapter 2. Go back and, and I don't really have time to go back and, and unpack all of that again, but we've done that in our study of Romans. They were a law unto themselves. The flood proves that God regarded sin as sin before the law was given. Does it not? Uh, would you say that that was the judgment of God for sin? I, I think that's, that's an obvious, easy thing for us to see. So beginning in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, so yes, he says, that's true, and until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. But he says, nevertheless, that's an important word, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. This is Paul saying sin was still sin during that period of time, even over them that have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So what's, what does that mean? Well, the similitude of Adam's transgression was he was given a law and he broke that law and that was transgression. That was a transgression of a written or given law. So Adam sinned against a given law, given in words to him, those that were after the law uh, given to Moses sinned after a given law, but those in between sinned not against a given law. That's, that's uh, very complicated to understand that. We're going to move on from that, but I do think it's important for us to understand what Paul was saying there. So let's go back to the phrase at the end of, of verse 12, because all sinned. What does that really mean? And, and it's very important for us to understand. Does it simply mean that all have committed sins well that's true did you know that all men have committed sins we are all guilty of sin in that sense that we have committed sins but that's why that the translation there in your king james version is a little bit misleading because that's not what paul's talking about here if death passes on all men because they all commit sins then the whole premise of this section really is a moot point. Because remember, this passage is not just about Adam, it's also about Jesus Christ and how we are in him as well. So it was Adam's sin that made us regarded legally as sinners. What Paul is actually saying here, because all sinned, is that Adam's sin was imputed to all men. What a sad thing. What a sad thing that... Adam's sin was imputed to all men. It's not talking about our active sin, that we have all committed sins. It's talking about that we sinned in Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned. So you use words like, he was our representative head. He was the federal head. He, they use all these complicated words, but it really means that we were in Adam in that sin. We are we are not sinners merely because we commit sins, which is true, but rather we commit sins because we are sinners. Right. I'm going to repeat that. That's really important. Okay? We are not sinners merely because we commit sins, which is true, but rather we commit sins because we are sinners in Adam. 
So the doctrine of original sin in Scripture. Let's go and look a few other places that will support what it is that Paul is teaching here. So you see, it's not that we committed sins. What Paul is actually teaching us here is that we sinned in Adam. When he says death passed upon all men because all sinned. We, that was the sin, the transgression of Adam there in the garden. So the doctrine of original sin in Scripture. Where do we find it? Well, Psalm 51.5. Psalm 51.5. You can write these down. You don't even have to turn there for time's sake, but write these down. Go back this afternoon maybe and, and look these up and, and read the context around it. But Psalm 51.5. Um, uh, Behold, I was conceived in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my, did my mother conceive me. Ephesians 2.2 2 says that all people who are not in Christ are the sons of disobedience. It's another place. Uh, 2.3 says that by nature we are the children of wrath. By nature we are the children of wrath. It can only be because we are all by nature sinners. Um, so all of these places uh, are show us and, and, and kind of expound upon this idea of original sin. Scripture speaks of humans as unrighteous from infancy. That's not a popular thing to say. Did you know that? That even... It's a tough doctrine for a lot of people. I'm amazed sometimes some of the past theologians and, and preachers and commentators that I really respect, and then you read them on the idea of infants. And it's like they throw out all of the things, and they get emotional, and they say, well, it can't be that an infant is a sinner. How could that be? They're just so precious. You know, Sister Lydia delivers all these babies. I mean, you ever held a newborn baby? That's a, that's a really sweet, that's a precious thing, isn't it? But that baby's a sinner. From its birth, from its conception, it is a sinner. And that's a, that's a hard truth, but it is nonetheless the truth. Proverbs twenty two fifteen: Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The intent of a man's heart is evil from his youth. And the, that word, Jonathan Edwards, in his work, The Great Christian Doctrine of Original Sin Defended, he remarked on that verse where it says, The intent of a man's heart is evil from his youth. He word-studied that, that word youth. The word translated youth signifies the whole of the former part of the age of man, which commences from the beginning of life. The word of its uh, derivation has reference to the birth or beginning of existence. So when it says youth, it's not talking about an age of accountability. It's not talking about some point in, in the young. That word youth that's translated there is from the beginning, from its existence. So when it says that, that's, that's what it means. The intent of a man's heart is evil from his youth, from his beginning, from the beginning of his existence. Uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith says it this way, chapter 6, paragraph 3, they being the root... And by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath. The servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. I love that last phrase. I told you I wasn't going to get ahead, but I love that last phrase. Unless the Lord, I mean, that, that's pretty tough stuff. 
uh, it says, the servants of sin subject to this and all other miseries, spirit, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Because of the sin of Adam, and, and this is talking about our parents, Adam and Eve. That's, what, that's why it says they being the root here in, this, in the, the, the confession. They were standing in the room instead of all mankind. And all of these miseries have passed on. But it says, but unless the Lord Jesus Christ set them free. So I, I love that context. And then some of those same verses that we just read are the proof text there uh, in the confession for that. So the first thing we see is that sin entered into the world through one man, Adam. And we see that through the entire text. Now for the good news. I was hoping I'd get through that part quickly because there's a lot of good news in this passage. The gift of righteousness by one man. The gift of righteousness by one man. In verse 15 through 19. This is the good news of the gospel and this is why the precision of our exposition matters so much in verse 12. We sinned in Adam, but the obedience that we lack, the righteousness that we lack, is provided for us also by one man. And that man is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So just as we were in Adam in the transgression, so the believer is in Christ, and his obedience is imputed to us. He is our head and representative. And because of that, when he died for our sins, he can say that he nailed our sins to the cross. He represented us. He was our representative. He took our place. Uh, the free gift is not like the offense. So let, that's, that's what verse 15 says. So let's unpack that a little bit. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." What, what a great scripture. It, we, could, we could just camp out in verse 15 for the rest of the time and, and it would be great. But one thing that it says, the free gift is not like the offense. So what does that mean? The free gift justifies us from many offenses, not just one. That's one thing that's different. Adam, there was one offense that then passed on all men. But is that the only offense? Is that the only way that you've offended God? So if, if by one man sin entered into the world and then by one man that one sin is taken care of we would be lost but it's multiple offenses grace much more abounded uh, christ uh, it says in our passage that uh, the the free gift is not like the offense uh, that the free gift justifies us from many offenses not just one so christ was the representative of all the elect and nailed our sins to his cross. He also actively and passively was obedient to and gives to us his righteousness. His righteousness is our righteousness, just like Adam's sin is our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death... By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's a, that's a beautiful scripture. And what it also points us to is the importance of the incarnation. Jesus came as a man. He was made flesh. By one man sin entered the world, by another man that sin was paid for. And, and through his resurrection we have life. That's another Another beautiful thing that we can see through 
that text. So let's look at verse 16 and 17. He says, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, not only are our sins forgiven, but we are also clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Another way to think about that is that we are not just given back the righteousness that Adam had before the fall, but rather we're given the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, impeccable Son of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. We, we weren't just given back, look, get us back to where Adam was, Adam's righteousness before the fall. We were given the very righteousness of Jesus Christ in his active and passive obedience. He lived life. Adam lived life and fell. Christ lived life and never committed a sin. And his obedience is our obedience. So there is a difference there. The many um, and all uh, parts of this passage, um, that, that's a, a discussion that I'm not going to jump into. It's something a lot of people focus on. Uh, we're not going to really focus on that this morning. But you might have been thinking during the first part of this message that it kind of didn't seem fair that Adam's sin is our sin. Maybe that thought crossed your mind. Maybe it didn't. Maybe you were raised primitive Baptist and you have no problem with that. Um, because if you're raised primitive Baptist, you probably didn't have a problem there. You probably said, that's right, that's right. But for a lot of people, when you talk about that Adam's sin is our sin and that he was our representative, they say, wait a minute, I didn't vote for that. You know what? I, I, I missed that election when we elected Adam as our representative. Well, number one, there was no election by all of the, the posterity. God appointed that. That was, that was God's design. But we, would, we might say that's not fair. But aren't you glad that for the believer, Christ's righteousness is your righteousness? Because if we're in Adam and we receive his sin, then we are in Christ and we receive his righteousness. So we don't want to say, well, I don't, I don't think that's fair that Adam's sin is our sin. Because then it would not be fair that Christ's righteousness is our righteousness to to mint the, the many and all parts that i just mentioned um cl clearly unless you're a universalist you cannot apply that literal meaning here so what i mean by that is in this passage there are places where it says that uh, because of the sin of adam all are in sin and then it talks about christ and it says that his right because of his righteousness all are justified well if that literally means that all are justified then that means everyone is saved all have no sin, so we know that the Bible does not teach that. Um, so that's, that's pretty clear, uh, but people argue about that, and they go back and forth. I'm not going to get into that a whole lot. I think we all here understand uh, the truth that not all men are justified. Uh, it also says in verse 15, For if through the offense of one many be dead, verse 18 says, By the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So uh, maybe we'll come back and look at that another time. But that's the, 
the kind of the details of that many and all thing uh, that I talked about. But because of Jesus Christ, because of his obedience, that sin, that, that sadness that we all felt when we talked about the fall and that by one man's sin entered into the world, well, there's another man that entered into the world. And that because of that one man, you and I have no guilt of sin. Our sins have been paid for, and not only that, but his righteousness is then imputed to us. So uh, there are some differences uh, in, this, in uh, the two. So we said that this is a comparison and, a, and kind of uh, brings up the, the ideas of Adam and Jesus Christ, and it's not perfect. It's not exactly the same. And so how is that different? Well, in Adam, all men sin, all, and that means all. But then with, with Jesus Christ, it's not that all or represented. Uh, that's not the way that it is. So there are some differences there. And I like what uh, Martin, Lloyd Jones, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones brought up about that. He said, you see the word received in the passage. There are some that received. So it's different. There's uh, not all received. The other it just says that it's a, a blanket statement. All ha have sinned in Adam. Uh, so I, that is one difference that you will see that I wanted to point out uh, before we move on. But as we look at, at our passage, we get down uh, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So for you to be made righteous, you had to have a righteousness that was outside of yourself. That was provided for you by Jesus Christ. So when we go back to verse 14 and it says... After the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. You see this language about the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam being Adam himself and the second Adam being Christ. That Christ entered into the world to pay for our sins, to be our substitute, to take our place. He was our representative uh, under the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God for us. Um, the reason I'm not really unpacking that even more is because we just talked about this in uh, Romans 5 earlier uh, in the passage when we talked about the gospel and about how we are justified by his blood and we shall be saved from wrath through him. You remember we talked about that in verse 9 and how that what we're actually saved from is the wrath of God uh, for sin because of Jesus Christ. So uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing for us to think about that even though we, we cringe and we just you know, we, oh man, you know, all men fell into sin through Adam and then death entered by sin. By sin. <coughs> death has passed upon all men. But then we hear the wonderful news that Christ also entered in uh, to flesh. He became flesh and that he took our place under the wrath of God and his righteousness is imputed to me. Yes, Adam's sin is imputed to me, but Christ's righteousness is also imputed to me. And where... Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. What a, what a wonderful message that is for us this morning. And then I want to close with our little, uh, parent, uh, not parenthetical, our, our postscript statement at the end, which talks about the law in verses 20 and 21. So let's go back and, and review that. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So 
Uh, the law entered, it says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. I think what he's saying there is the law put a giant spotlight on the fall of man. It, it, it really um, just shows and, and makes clear the falling short of the glory of God of mankind. Uh, when you look at the law, what the law does for us is it just shows us that we're sinners. It shows us how, how short we fall of God's law for us and what he would have for us. John Gill said it this way, that it might appear more manifest, sin in general, <coughs> any and all actual transgressions which abound through the laws discovering the evil nature of them, and so taking away all excuse or pretext of ignorance. So he says this, like I said, my, my crude... His language is much better than mine. I said it shines a spotlight on it. And he said it might appear more manifest in actual transgressions, which abound. So his, his language is a lot better than mine, uh, but the same concept. So what are some of the truths we learn from this? Well, the law was never meant as a way of salvation. The law was never meant as a way of salvation. It cannot justify or save anyone. That's one thing we can take away from uh, this text. The law was never meant as a way of salvation. It cannot justify or save anyone. The law increases our knowledge of sin. It defines sin. It shows us the depth and nature of sin. It reveals the grip of sin on our hearts and exposes the deceitfulness of sin. That's what the law does. It shines the light on our sinfulness and, and our falling short of what it is that God demands. The law increases our conviction of sin. It makes our sin greater by showing, when it says the law entered, that the offense might abound. That word abound there. The law increases our conviction of sin. It makes our sin greater by showing that we are defying God. It shows us the extent of our sinfulness and inability to save ourselves. That phrase in the middle, it shows <coughs> that we are defying God. Did you know that sin is not... This, this, may, this may go a little, little too far for you, but, uh, but just I think it's important for us to understand. Sin is sin because of the character of God, because of who God is. Um, sin is not sin because there's some cosmic blackboard out in, in space somewhere, and God is good because God follows all the rules. That's not the way that it works. Uh, the reason something is sin is because it's, it's opposed to the character and will of God. Mm -hmm. So because of that, um, when we say that in, in our text there, um, when he says that, that this may abound, and we talk about how that it shows that we are defying God, when we look at the law of God and find out who God is and what God expects, this shows us that it's not just that we're not following some set of rules. We are rebelling against God. Sin is rebellion against who God is and how God intends for mankind to live. That's what sin really is. And so the law shows us that. It, it points that out to us. It shines the light on it. The ultimate purpose of the law is to lead us to Christ. So when we said the law was never meant as a way of salvation, what the law does is it leads us to Christ. It is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. It shows us our need for salvation through faith in Christ. So... We must understand the first half of Romans 5.20 to understand the second half. So let's look at that. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We must see the depth of our sin to see the abundance of God's grace. 
Does that make sense? So he says, first, you need to understand that the law entered that the offense might abound, that we might really know the depth of our sin so that we could then really understand the abounding nature of God's grace in our life through Jesus Christ. So the law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. You, you're all very familiar with that text. I'm not going to turn to that. But because of the law pointing out the depth of our sin, then we see the, the great beauty that we have in a Savior in Christ Jesus, who even though the depth of our sin is so uh, amazing and so deep, that yet grace did much more abound. That yes, there was uh, a transgression in Adam, and yes, all fall into sin, and all commit sin, and all add to that transgression uh, by sin. And yes, death did enter by sin, but, but this is the most beautiful part of this passage, and we're going to sum up now. Christ, because of Christ, grace abounded over all of that. That my sin in Adam, my sin by transgression, and death itself was conquered by Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death. And because of Jesus Christ, my sin has been paid for, and I have a righteousness in which I can now approach unto God. You know, Brother Brady said that joy is being in the presence of God. Sin kept you from that. So, but because of sin, we could not be in the presence of God. You want to experience joy? Joy is in the presence of God, and with sin, you cannot be in the presence of God. But through Christ, because of Christ, we can approach again unto God. We can be in His presence. So I want to close with the words of this song. I, I really wish... I'm, I'm going to find the sheet music to this. I'm bringing it, and we're going to sing it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I, I'm, I've been listening to this one a lot lately. I've already quoted it in one message before, but it really fits this morning. It says, What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. What an amazing thought. Our sins, it's, it's incomprehensible really for us to really comprehend the amount of our sin and yet his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us, his blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford, our sins they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So even though we uh, looked at Romans 5 today and it was a message about original sin, I hope that you're leaving rejoicing. That it, we didn't end the message with Adam. We end the message with Christ. who Christ as our Redeemer who came lived a perfect and sinless life that you and I might forever live with Him, free from sin. That day's coming. You know, death is going to come. We said that. That's something where none of us are going to avoid. But for the Christian, for the believer, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, for those who are in Christ, we welcome. We welcome death because it's a time when we'll be without sin and we get to go and live with God and be in that joy forever and ever with Him. Hope those things have been a blessing to you this morning.